Well, the reading this morning, Many Paths to Truth, is a very important reading at this time in our lives. It seems like everywhere we look, life is getting more and more polarized. My religion is the only way, your religion is the wrong one. Politics, beliefs of any sort, even diets. Uh, this is my way is the only way. I saw this cartoon that had a man uh, speaking to a bartender, and the man was saying to the bartender, do you really think people are getting more polarized today? And the bartender says, I sure do. And he writes a word on a piece of paper. He says, say this word aloud. And the man said, you know, you can tell by the size of the words in the cartoon that he says it sort of quietly, vegan. <laughs> now, now, vegan is people who don't eat any animal products. And then the next panel of the cartoon shows these loud swear words. You know how swear words are written in cartoons. And it's the guy saying, enough of you crazy faddists, you know, always trying to convince us with your unnatural diets. And the bartender says, see? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that there's just one way. God is everywhere. And each one of us, even if we're following the same religion, it's going to do it in our own way. Just as Krishna is saying, but, uh, Jesus says there are many ways to truth. Krishna says no matter what your way that you're following, you have to do it in your own way. And that's, that's the message, and it's, a, it's an important message. Swami Kriyananda talked about a time that he was, many years ago, someone got into an argument with him about the fact that their spiritual path was much more sophisticated or better or something than his spiritual path. And the man was going on and on, and Swami said, okay, for the, just for the sake of harmony, let's say that your spiritual path is the best spiritual path, and my spiritual path is the second best spiritual path. <laughs> he said, I would never be happy following your spiritual path. I would much rather follow my second best spiritual path. So let's just agree to disagree. So we want to have that understanding that each person has to go their own way. But I was thinking it might be valuable to look at some attitudes that underlie spiritual paths no matter what your spiritual path. Um, and there are probably lots and lots of attitudes we could include in that. But I thought to choose the five, and Swami gave a, wrote a series of lessons a long time ago on discipleship, and he names five central attitudes on the spiritual path, and they really are central, and I'd like to use those as the basis this morning. Courage, positive thinking at all times, even-mindedness, living for God alone, and serving God in others. So however you're whatever path you're following, those attitudes are going to help you and also your path should be developing those attitudes in you. And the first one is very interesting, it's courage. Um, I looked up a, a dictionary definition of courage, but I'm not going to use it. I'm going to give a different definition of courage. What I see courage as is the willingness to see what needs to be done and to do it, even don't think you can. And I'd like to share a 
very interesting story that happened in Ananda's history, in the history of the Ananda school. Um, in our school, at the beginning of the year, most of the grades take the, uh, take the kids on camping trips. And these camping trips are ways that they bond together as a group, they, get, they build a sense of trust, positive energy, adventure, they connect with their teachers and so forth. So it's a very um, joyful and, and uh, important time of the year for them. Gets the school year off to the right start. Well, this year there were 10 teenagers going, uh, two parents and two teachers. And one of the teachers was the person responsible for the food. And if you've ever been backpacking, you know that the secret to a good backpacking trip is having the right food. Well, this teacher had never planned food for a backpacking trip before. So she asked her friend, another teacher, what did she take? And she you know, made notes on that and, and used that as the basis for her, her packing. But her friend taught seven-year-olds. And she was taking teenagers. And there's a vast difference in the amount of food eaten by <laughs> teenagers. And so the first meal, it became obvious that this wasn't really going to work. And there wasn't enough food. And naturally, teenagers began to complain that they were going to starve to death on this trip. <laughs> and they were grumbling, and they were mad, and there was really bad energy. Well, it didn't get any better as time went on, because there was short now, nobody was going to starve on this trip. I mean, they were eating, but they weren't satisfied. They were doing a lot of hiking. They felt they needed more food. So the adults looked at the situation, and they thought, this is exactly what is not a how-to-live Ananda Living Wisdom School. You know, kids with grumbling and bad attitudes and, you know, against the teachers, and, and it wasn't going to be good. And so they got together, and they said, what can we do? Well, the obvious thing, the one teacher volunteered to take a huge pack and walk out, get more food, and walk back in. That would take a little bit of time, but it had to happen. Then this other teacher had this inspiration. She said, I know, we'll fast. So the, the three adults wouldn't eat anything <clears throat> to leave a little bit more food for the children. And so they didn't make a big deal about it, but they decided they, the adults were preparing the food, the adults would prepare the food, then they would go off, and they would energize, and they would meditate, and they would come back. And if anything was left, they would have something to eat, and if not, they would just fast until something else happened, until the friend came back with the food. So it took a while for the teenagers to notice what was going on. They, were, they weren't having really much more food, but just a little bit more food, and, and they were enjoying what they had, and, but they were still kind of grumbling. And, but at a certain point, they started to notice that the teachers were never there at mealtime. And they kind of said, what's going on? And they said, oh, not a problem. We're just, we've decided we're just not going to eat till the rest of the food comes. And this really, these are really good kids, you know, and this kind of was upsetting to them. They couldn't relax knowing that their teachers might be hungry. And so the entire dynamic of the trip shifted. Now the children weren't worried about themselves starving to death. They were worried about their teachers and <laughs> what, what would happen to their teachers. And so some of the children tried to eat less, but then others really couldn't eat less. And so it ended up that there really wasn't any food left for the teachers. And 
But the whole dynamic shifted, and now instead of it being this kind of grumbling, what about me? I'm not, I'm starving, I'm too hungry, this isn't right. It was all about love and sharing and compassion and teamwork. And so, and I don't know how long it took for the other teacher to get back with the food, but when he arrived, the children were cheering, not for themselves, but for the teachers. And they said, we're going to make this meal and you're going to be the first ones to eat. And so the whole dynamic shifted. And the woman who had had that inspiration, um, she didn't even know if she could fast. She'd never fasted before, and she uh, actually thought she had low blood sugar and didn't think she was capable of it. But she, but she was willing to take the courageous step and do it. And, it, and it changed the energy. So courage is really transcendence, isn't it? We transcend what we think we can do, and we do more than we think we can do. Even if we don't know if we can do it, we reach for it. And it doesn't always happen in, in dramatic ways like that, but it's something in every day to look at transcendence. Maybe you don't feel so great, but maybe I could meditate. Maybe I could try to feel God's presence, even though my stomach is very upset or I have a, I'm, I'm seriously ill. Um, someone just insulted me, but maybe I could still love them as a child of God. Maybe I could just rise out of myself. Transcendence is rising out of what you think you are, connecting with your soul, just like the reading bar it was doing, and discovering who you really are. That's what courage is. Obviously really important on the spiritual path. So the next quality is positive thinking at all times. And again, in our cu culture, people think that people who are positive are just naive. It's, there's so much terrible stuff going on. It's just not responsible to be positive all the time. <laughs> but it's essential if you're a spiritual person to be positive all the time because your positive pole of the body is right up here. It's your spiritual eye, the top of the head. This is where God is found within you, is this part of your being. And so you'll find in saints tremendous positive energy. No, like, oh, maybe this will work, maybe this won't work. Just go for it. And Master Yogananda was just determinedly positive. He wouldn't let people around him if they were in moods. And one day when Swami Kriyananda had been with him for a year, he was just a young man in his 20s, he was feeling a little bit down. And Yogananda said to him, how are you today, Walter? And Swami said, well, Master said, that's good. Just no room for anything, but I'm well, I'm well. And holding that positive attitude is really what helps us align with our soul nature. This young man told this story. He was in the monastery. He just joined a monastery with Yogananda. And um, it was Christmas time. And for Christmas, he got a little package from Yogananda that contained Kriya beads, which he was very thrilled to receive, and also three $1 bills. And his first thought was, well, I'm a monk. I don't need money. Why would he give me money? And so, but he didn't think much about it. He was really thrilled with the Kriya beads. And so he put the gifts down on the table in front of him. He was kind of off in the corner. There was a big Christmas party going on, and Yogananda was up front, and people were facing him and talking and laughing. And, 
So he was standing in the corner with his gifts on the table in front of him. And at the end of the evening, he went to put the gifts in his pocket. And the beads were there, and the wrapping was there, and the $3 bills were gone. And he said, no one came near that table. I mean, not that anyone there would take $3 anyway, but no one came near him. And he looked over, and Yogananda was just smiling a little smile at him. Because he'd been negative. Yogananda said, okay, if you don't want it, I'll take it back. And energetically, it was gone. So positive thinking helps us to, to connect with who we really are, the soul. The next quality is even-mindedness. And I was thinking, as I often do, about Swami Kriyananda and how much he modeled all of these qualities for us. No matter what was happening around him, you know, whether we were having a party and he was reading a funny story and we were all laughing, or whether the community had just burned down and we're planning what to do next. He was the same. You know, he may be laughing, he may be serious, but this quality of just never being shaken by anything that was going on around him was just always there, this calmness. And I have a wonderful memory of something that happened, I think it was in the 70s, actually, the community had just started tithing a couple of years before. And a lot of miracles happened here when we as a community started to tithe. I mean, land being given to us, buildings being completed that had been sat as foundations for years. Many things just started to become more affluent. And so we had this celebration that was partly to convince people to tithe and partly to share the inspiration of all that had happened. And it was supposed to be a, um, a radio, a TV interview. And, and it, was, it was hilarious. And my part was I was supposed to be a film clip. I wasn't even live. I was supposed to be a film clip of someone talking about all the inspiring things that had happened in the community since we started tithing. So the TV show was going on, and it was hilarious. People were guffawing, holding their sides, tears running down their cheeks. It was really, really funny. And I was just sitting there absolutely dreading what was going to happen next because we're in this rollicking, rollicking energy, and they're now going to announce me. And I'm going to have to get up and be totally serious. And I knew exactly what was going to happen when I stood up. And it happened. <laughs> this wall of energy came at me of like, oh boy, what's she going to say? That's funny. So we can keep laughing. And, and it was, it was, I mean, it was tangible. And I, and I just had to be like, okay, this is not what's happening. You know, I'm doing something else. And I looked out in the room and there was one person who was not like that. And that was Swami. He'd been laughing. He loves to laugh. He loves humor. He was totally with me. He was centered. He was calm. He was ready to listen to what the next thing was. He wasn't on momentum. There was no, like, in himself, even-minded. In, um, in the late 80s, I had something happen uh, in my life, and I needed to make a decision, and I needed to 
get guidance and it needed to be right and it felt really, really important to me. And I was in St. Louis with my parents and I was getting one guidance for my meditation and I was getting other guidance from my friends who I trust when I talk to them on the phone. And I was thinking, I don't want to blow this. And so I wrote a letter to Swami explaining you know, my process, asking God and what I thought was right and what other people were saying and so forth and what should I do. And the letter that he sent me was so, you know, if you picture this, I want to get it right, I want to get it right, I want to get it right. And the letter that came was just, and the first line was, Anandi, this is all a dream of God. Just feel your shoulders, just relax down. This is all a dream of God. We have to give love to those who are close to us. God is pleased that you only want to do what he wants you to do. There was so much in that, but it was all even. It's not that complicated. Wherever you are, just give love to the people who are around you. But also realize whether you get it right or you don't get it right, it doesn't matter that much. It matters that you're trying to get it right that you're asking God what should you do and trying to tune into that. So even-mindedness allows us to attune to God's presence inside of us. Without even-mindedness, we can never find God, no matter what our path. Living for God alone one of my favorite lines, well, there are many favorite lines in Swami's bulk of his writings, but this one is so great. Justice. Don't look for it. <laughs> Don't expect it. Again, in our age, as unjust as so many things are, for people like us, there's this feeling like life should be just, especially my life. Should be, <laughs> it should be fair. I should be treated fairly, and that's important to me. And, and if it's not just, that's not okay. Justice. Don't look for it. And Yogananda was really strong that way with his disciples. He would accuse them of things they didn't do. He would... Um, be directing the uh, planting of the Pacific Palisades properties, which was all uh, unplanted, and he was directing the monks how to put in the plants, and he would have them plant one plant. Oh, no, that's not quite right. Dig it up. Would you? It should be over there, three feet. Okay. They dig it up, they move it. No, that's not quite right. It should be there. And, and he would have them move it and end up back at the same place. One time he had them plant a whole hillside, and then unplant it, bring in the bulldozer, change the whole shape of the hillside, replant it. Did he not know what he was doing? No, actually, he knew exactly what he was doing. And the monks who got it, they would smile at each other and just go, he's testing us. And they would just do whatever he told them to do with a smile. It was just there was no big deal. If he wants it done, we do it. We don't need to worry. If we do it, undo it, it's not our problem. They would just go for it, and the other monks would decide that 
they were tired of living with a crazy person and they would just leave. And the ones who stayed were being tested on the quality of living for God alone. And he was bringing that quality out in them. I heard a beautiful story uh, during the time that we were in Assisi um, about living for God. And it was about Swami Kriyananda who had he had a variety of health problems in his life, like a very long list of health problems in his life. But one of them was um, arrhythmia. And this was, I think, of all of his problems, the one that was most challenging for him because arrhythmia means your heart is maybe racing or fluttering. And what that means is when you try to meditate and try to get quiet and your breathing tries to quiet and your heartbeat tries to quiet, you can't do it. Your heart is just, at one point Swami said, it feels like I'm meditating in a washing machine. It's just like everything is going on here. Well, he was in Italy, and he had had one surgery for this arrhythmia, and it, it didn't work. And the surgeon said to him, we can only do one more surgery for you. If this one doesn't work, we can't, we can't open you up again. It's possible. So it, you know, this is very, very important. So Swami went into this surgery with a lot of hope and enthusiasm and, okay, you know, we'll get the heart fixed, I'll be able to meditate, commune more deeply with God. And so when it was over, the surgeon came into the room and the first thing Swami said, well, how did it go? And the surgeon said, I'm so sorry. I did, I did everything I could. I just, I just couldn't do it. It just didn't respond. And the man who was telling the story, many of you know him as Paolo Tassetto Naria, he said he watched Swami and he, you know, no disappointment on his face. He just closed his eyes, he went inside, and he could feel, he was just saying, will of God, I accept it. I accept it. He opened his eyes, he said to the doctor, thank you so much, I know you did the very best you could. He looked at Paolo, he said, let's go get a cappuccino. Just, this is from God. I'm living for God. What God sends, I accept. And finally, the last one of serving God in others. In the autobiography of a yogi, uh, Shri Yukteswar says, uh, as long as you're breathing the free air of earth, you are under obligation to perform willing service in return. And he said, it's only when you attain the breathless state that you're free from that obligation. So service is a key aspect to our path, and it's in service that we really purify our hearts, we deepen our meditation, we deepen the qualities that we bring into meditation, and it's, it gets our energy uplifted, it helps us attune to life more deeply to draw the inspiration from God. And there was a really sweet story about Yogananda with these monks that I told you about. Um, working on the lake shrine, there was one of the monks that said, I hate gardening work. I would rather be run over by a truck than do gardening work. And this, so Yogananda was meeting with the monks about the fact that there was a lot of work to be done with the planting the next day. And so he was reading off a list of who would be there and what they would do. And he, he came to this one monk and he said his name and the monk said, well, sir, 
I have all these important things to do. And he began to list all the other duties that he had that were much more important. And, and because of that, all those duties, he couldn't possibly come to that day uh, doing the work in the garden. And Yogananda didn't say anything. And he went on and he read the names of the other monks and came to the bottom of the list. And then he summed it up by going through reading the names all over again of who would be there. And he included the name of the monk who was far too busy to come. And, he, and when, he, when he came to that monk's name, the monk, thinking, well, he probably forgot what I told him, said again all the important things that he had to do the next day. And Yogananda smiled very quietly. He said, yes, I remember. I just wanted to hear it again. <laughs> Well, needless to say, that monk was in the garden the next day. <laughs> so we're so fortunate that we are here in a place where we have really unlimited opportunities for service. And it's one of the great qualities of Swami Kriyananda that he was able to generate so many ways that so many people could be not just joyfully serving, but intensely serving, because that is helping us to purify our hearts just as much as meditating is. When we can serve as an act of joyful self-offering, gaining the same benefits as we gain from meditation. So that's our opportunity. And these qualities are just ways for us to, all of them, feel closer to God. Yogananda said something really beautiful. He said, when any devotee thinks of me with longing in his heart, he should know that that means that I am near. So we have a wonderful journey ahead of us. We're all, many of us, been doing this journey for a long time. But it's a journey that gets more and more beautiful more and more fulfilling and more and more filled with joy the longer that we are on it. Many blessings. <laughs>